Welcome to Music Matters Podcast with Daryl Craig Harris, talking about all things music with celebrities, artists, music business insiders, and more. Welcome to Music Matters, a podcast about all things music, and today, actually, all things music and creative. Today, we have um, amazing director cinematographer, producer, kind of a man of many hats, an editor we were just talking about, um, Dean Bushala. Dean has been involved in numerous shows, including Ice Road Truckers. Um, let's see, I have to actually read the list because it's so long. Ice Road Truckers, uh, Moonshiners, Deadliest Catch, Biker Build-Off, American Loggers, and that's just scratching the surface. Hi, how are you doing, Dean? I'm doing great, doing great. So where are you right now? Uh, I am down in uh, Pigeon Forge, uh, blanking on this uh where's kitchen forge <laughs> oh tennessee <God>. right <laughs> tennessee yeah thank yeah. you because that, that, that's Kentucky. sort of like Do- that's dollywood territory right <laughs> I, I, I my beautiful hotel actually overlooks the uh parking lot of, of dollywood so it's yeah, nice yeah we're we're down here wrapping up um the anniversary season season 10 of moonshiners wow i didn't realize that's been on that that long yeah yeah it's one of those uh i was lucky enough i got i brought came in on season three and uh, I remember going, you know, you can you can only make moonshine in the woods for so long. Exactly. I hope this goes to season five. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because actually that's sort of the thing with that. Like you never know, right? You you have no idea. Some of like the greatest characters and stories. I'm like, oh, this is my retirement show. Get three episodes. Yeah, and you know, and then other shows where you're like, yeah, I could see one or two. You, you know, <laughs> we're, we're here we're on ten. I don't want to take anything away from. Yeah, it's sort of like the but... Broadway thing. Like you have you do all the work. You do have the big opening. You get a couple of bad reviews, and then you're done. <laughs> it's like you yeah, never yeah. you never freaking know, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, you have a really interesting history, and I so your hometown, or actually, are you from Chicago or Illinois in general? Um, just I'm uh, a couple suburbs north of Chicago. Um, okay, you know on the lake. I grew up grew up there. Um, went to high school up there, and then went to Syracuse University. Awesome. Um, I think I studied film there. I like to say that my dad says, "No, you watched a lot of movies." <laughs> you know? Hey, I'm gonna now get that, my I'm gonna get my music degree. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now that I have kids in college, I'm like, yeah, I already tried that. Yeah, I know you're wise. You're wise to it, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, you know, from that, I just kind of jumped right into independent uh, documentaries and independent filmmaking. I didn't. I didn't go traditional LA route. So when, when did you first get interested actually in doing film and making, or I don't know, how, how was that process for you? Was it making films with your friends or what was sort of the yeah. process? Yeah, I got in really early. You know, I mean, you hear about it all the time. Like I made my first film when I was eight. Right. Um, yeah. I wasn't that young, but uh, I, you know, I'm uh, severely dyslexic, you know, so growing up and doing anything with words was a nightmare. Yeah. But visually, I was always very strong with that. So um, I had a great tutor and she gave me a video camera. I mean, like a full size VHS camera that had the, te- you know, the 20 foot cord to the <laughs> top old, loading. Old school. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we're going on. I hate to say how old I am. But uh, so I probably started like really started shooting probably when I was around nine. Um, got my first film camera at 10 from a friend's father shooting Super 8. And uh you know, I mean, this stuff's horrible, but the more you look, the more you do anything, you know, you look to a camera and you start realizing what a shot is, you, you get hopefully better at it. Yeah, it's sort of, I guess that's really, I mean, no matter how successful you are, you still have to go through that process, it seems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I watch these young directors that come out and, you know, and you're like, my God, where'd this kid come from? This stuff is amazing. But you talk to him for 10, 15 minutes and it's like, yeah, he's 30, but he's been doing it for 20 years as well. Yeah. And they leave, they, they sort of live and breathe that, that idiom. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you can learn anything. I mean, with the iPhone now you can shoot great projects. So the, the tools are accessible. So it's just a matter of practice. So then when you went to to film school, what were you mainly focusing on? Were you kind of doing, I know you're, you're known in a lot of different sort of areas obviously cinematography is one is that how you sort of started or what was uh, when you came got out of school what was your first sort of uh, yeah, beginnings it was, was kind of you know I got into film school um I had a horrible track record at uh it did it, it high school I mean I was not yeah. a very strong student again the dyslexia a lot of, a lot of creatives have that yeah. that say like I me mean, I me too it's like you know I'm like I want to go do stuff and you're like sitting there going learning history and all the you know yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, you know, this is the, the letters are moving on the page. I can't read it. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. I had been working for a long time shooting films and, and uh, interning at different places. So when I applied to um, Syracuse, the dean of the film school at the time, um, Owen Shapiro, really liked my portfolio. Awesome. Um, and so I really got in on that, had some, you know, people write some good letters saying, hey, you know, give them a shot. Um, and when I got there, I was just, you know, like everyone, you're like, I'm going to be a film director. You know, you hear a little beret on and, sure, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and it, it, it took like 10 minutes for me to realize everyone wants to be a director. You need to have a hard skill, you know? Yeah. And so I really and you need to learn how the sausage is made before you can be a director. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, oh, quite. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's thousands of people that I'm in charge of when you now on big shows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, not thousands, hundreds. Let's not get crazy. You know, I'm not Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> exactly. Thank um, God, but, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but really, uh, I really like the technical aspect of it. Okay. I like the framing. Um, and then I'm very strong at organization and numbers. It's just kind of the default to not, you know, with the reading and spelling was always so bad. So yeah. editing was, was a natural, you know. Um, and this was back in the day where you cut film and you had to track hundreds of strands of film hanging on the wall, knowing when you're going to use them. So I really became an editor and uh, from an editor started realizing how to frame things better. And and that helped me shoot. And then people started asking me to kind of come out and can I, can I shoot for them knowing what we need in post? So I kind of moved back. Yeah, because that actually saves a huge amount of money and time. If you know, if you know like what you're going to really need at the end product, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, when I'm shooting, it's really funny. Uh, I'm right now on the show that I'm with the, the cinematographer that's with me. He, he's always like, you call the shots out before I get a chance to frame it. And I'm like, it's not that you're slow. It's I'm editing this damn show in my head. Yeah. And I don't want the guys in New York getting mad at me. Exactly. Yeah. Well, plus, you know, and we talked a little bit about that, but you actually like you're on a tight schedule. You have to get a certain amount of shows done. And what, what actually, what's considered a season? It's not, it's really, because we think of it in terms of a year, but it's really not that, correct? No, no. I mean, it used to be a season, you know, when I started, seasons were like 12 episodes, 24, 22 episodes. Uh, when things started going to streaming uh, with cable, it's it's kind of broken up. Uh, first season of Critter Fixers, which is coming on um uh, National Geographic Wild. So you'll be able to see on Disney Plus. Their first season was three episodes, which when I started, that was kind of like, well, let's let's run a pilot or a sizzle. You know, right. let's do three you episodes. Get, see if you can get interest. And, yeah. Yeah. So uh, with Moonshiners, I believe this year, 22 episodes. I think episode wow. one and episode two are two hours. Okay. So, you know, so it's, it's this is a real big series. A lot of times it's, yeah. between eight to 12. And that's it's actually, and I, it's the series I watched, like well, actually a lot of the shows that you've been involved with, I, I watch. And like I said, you kind of, you've done some of the shows you're producing, some you're directing, some you've, you're uh, editing cinematography, but Moonshiners is interesting because I always think about those shows or even like Deadliest Cats or Ice Road Truckers, which we just talked about uh, previously was about just uh, the uh, location, dealing with the locations. Yeah. Like Ice Road Truckers, you're basically in the tundra. <laughs> it, oh, yeah you know or you're actually beyond i mean you're, you're you're above the tree line you're out on the you know the frozen arctic ocean yeah, out there right um you know it's when i got into reality i had done television or documentary and then i was with mtv um and kind of reality was the mixture of two of them mm-hmm. um so that's where i went i really got into like what they were calling the he-man tv so it was like a lot of uh, biker build-off motorcycle right. mania and I, actually House. i love the biker build-offs indian larry that whole thing like oh yeah that i mean that's sort of run its course a little bit but you still have a lot of the car shows but um mm-hmm. it's pretty fascinating like yeah the, so the ice road truckers you're out there basically like in the tundra or in like you said on the on the frozen ocean when yeah. that first came up, that whole concept, what were you thinking, like, as far as putting that together? <laughs> it, 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 there's a great story behind that one. There, I wasn't the original. I mean, it was one of those blessings in my career. I wasn't the original uh, DP or cinematographer chosen for it. Uh, the cinematographer that went up had an issue, so they called me. He said, uh, you know, are you available? I'm like, yeah, that would be amazing. I said, yeah. great, you have 48 hours go buy the coldest weather gear you can buy 
Um, and Sony was, yeah, Sony was shipping up cameras. So they needed to be up there to start building kits. We had right. multiple teams. So I get up there, I bought these boots and in Chicago, and the guy's like, dude, you know, total skier guys like, dude, these boots are amazing up to 20 below zero, man. You're going to be fine. And I'm like, all right, I'm in Chicago. You know? Yeah. Like, like what could go wrong? <laughs> Literally got off the plane and it was negative 30. And I was like, my feet were cold. And I'm like, okay. So, yeah. And that's no, that's no joke. <laughs> no, no, it gets bad. It gets, it's so funny because when people watch this show, they, you know, the truckers will jump out of their trucks in hoodies and t-shirts, Yeah, which is true. I mean, you really, you can jump out in negative 30. For a minute. If you're out there for a, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's all they need. So there was a lot of people arguing. So season two, we really made a point of always filming the thermometer to show people we're not making that up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, when you go into those areas, going back to your, you know, the, the weather in the area, mm -hmm. you just buy your clothes there. Yeah. So in my basement now I have um, these big Tupperware bins and literally they're labeled like desert clothes, right. Arctic clothes, <laughs> underwater, you know, cause if I'm freezing my ass off sure. clothes, <laughs> <laughs> it's miserable. It's miserable. Yeah. And that's, I mean, like, and thinking about those shows is of course, as from the, from the viewer's perspective, we see the one, you know, basically we're seeing one camera at a time, whatever. Um, cinematography on a show like that's pretty cool because that's a, the, the scenery even though it's stark, it's really fascinating. Um, but putting that together, like there's actually, like you said, hundreds of people that you're dealing with and you're kind of, you got to set the daily schedule. It's, it's a whole thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, the large uh, program format where you have your schedules and your call sheets and you're organizing, but it's, you know, the other side is it's the independent one, two man documentary team. So. Yeah. Cause they're each out, each out with a different Basically, like in moon, Moonshine, there's a different crew. Truck with uh, ice road truckers is a different truck. Each they have yeah. to follow that guy around, right? Yeah, and you and you and you just need to, you know, you have a chessboard on the wall, and you're like, who haven't we filmed with? What's what is that guy hauling? What cameraman's available? Does that personality get along with that guy? I mean, there are guys you just don't put together because you'll get a bad story. Yeah, but um, and then you have the emergency. The first truck that went out on season one of Ice Road Truckers went out three days early. We weren't ready for it. Oh. So they, I was actually mounting, working with a guy putting a camera on a helicopter and they called me and they said, they're going to take the first truck out. I ran down there, grabbed a camera, jumped in and the follow vehicle was behind me. And I'm like, I'm just going to go 200 yards out onto the ice. I'll get my shots and we'll, we'll figure it out later. No one told me you can't stop a truck on the ice. Yeah. It's so, got to keep, got to keep moving, right? Yeah. got to keep moving. So I, it was about maybe three, four hours and we hit our first piece of land because, you know, they're going over lakes and, and yeah. rivers. Um, and I'm like, what? Do, I'm like, OK, I'll look for the chase vehicle. And the guy's like, oh, that chase vehicle stopped four hours ago. They're not allowed out on the ice. So I was like, <laughs> day like... one, we made a mistake. You know? so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I had to do the whole route, took, took quite a bit of time. Yeah, that's, a, you know, yeah, there's so many parts and pieces to that. Tell me uh, to go backwards a little bit in your story. Um, the MTV, how did that MTV thing happen? I know you went to, first went to Poland, but how did that connection happen? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, one of those like beautiful, wacky stories that I would never repeat, but man, I'm thankful <laughs> I had. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, I had been designing, um, I did a documentary in Chicago, and from that I started shooting commercials. So I knew a lot of people at Post Houses. And that documentary actually, tell us a little bit about that just before we move on, because I, that was actually a really important part of your career. Sure, yeah, I did Green on Thursdays uh, with uh, my partner, Deirdre Heaslip, back in the day. And um, we were out of college, we were looking for something to do. We wanted a documentary that'd be a little different. And we were living in um, a gay area of Chicago. It's kind of the, the Wrigleyville area. They call it Boys Town. And the local paper was always talking about hate crimes, but the mainstream media never was. So we were like, oh, this is interesting. What is this about? And it was about two and a half years while we were making that documentary um, about hate crimes. We were looking at like a three-part series, maybe one about religion, hate crimes uh, against people of color, and then hate crimes against um, um you know, gay lesbian groups at the time. Um, they've added many more letters on when I was, right, <laughs> you yeah. know, we're going, we're going back 40 years, 30 yeah, sure. years now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we were doing the documentary, we didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't know how to do it, but it was really about, we were 
we were given a lot of great access because people really liked what we were trying to do. And they want to tell that story, right? Yeah, yeah. The story was very important. Um, and, you know, you know, now looking at it, the camera work's not very good. The editing's a little overindulgent. You know, it's like, oh, what were we thinking? But what had happened was the film was released within a few weeks of the don't ask, don't tell period uh-huh. in the military. So what had happened was film comes out, it gets in a couple of festivals, and th- then we got swept up in the who has something that's relevant, that's new, sure. that's about the gay community. So we were in all the newspapers, we started getting into bigger festivals. The film in New York premiered at uh, MoMA. Um, it played at the Kennedy Center for members of Congress. Again, wow. it's not not a great film we just got really lucky i yeah. think my career has always been that way but do you think that like like content i mean start talking about creators and content to begin with if it has truth even if it may be rough around the edges that the truth is actually what is the important part of it right i, I think that's what people really appreciate about what we're doing because here we're two young i mean we're early 20s two straight kids yeah. trying to make a documentary but at the same time you know we were when we went in, we weren't telling them what their story was. We were just asking right. because yeah. we really didn't know. I mean, I had no, no idea. And maybe like a more experienced film crew would actually try to form that, but actually because you didn't, maybe you got the real truth mm-hmm. of the matter. You think? I, I think so. The lack of uh, lack of experience on how to really shape a documentary was mm-hmm. really probably our best education because ultimately it's where I learned to, you have to trust your subject. You know, and it, and it, and that goes in even when I do my my TV commercials and we've cast someone, you yeah. cast this person for a reason. So as a director, you want to kind of sit back and let them bring their experience and their art to whatever you're filming. I mean, of course, you want to direct them and shape them, but you don't want to hold them down. Yeah. And you want to let them tell their story. Right. Because they have. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like if you have you surround yourself with great people, then you're getting great content. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, 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 and it's one of the reasons why I kind of, after MTV and doing all this um, controlled content, I really mm-hmm. went back to, you know, reality was just coming out in the early 2000s. That's mm-hmm. when I came back to the States. And um, it was a great way. It was the love of documentary and the idea of letting people tell their story and finding it. But at the same time, there was security because it was television. So, you know, obviously, yeah. paychecks and there were networks behind you. So, you know, my first documentary took three years. We self-funded, you know, when we were and you, don't, under, and like, you don't know if you're going to find an outlet at that point. No, right? no, no. We, we, we were lucky enough to get a film distribution. It played at a few theaters. It, it was pre-internet. So the VCR sales were really bad. We, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we like broke even on the film prints. You uh, know what I mean? Like not even on the production. But side. you know what? If you, even if you, in that situation, if you, if you break even, it's like, yes, it's a win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I got stacks of film cans now. I'm like, I don't want to throw them away because I yeah. think they're expensive, but they're worthless. You know? uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so the MTV story. So, so you, you did the documentary and then how did the MTV thing come about? Uh, well, I was designing some logo stuff and my brother, uh, my older brother was in Europe doing commercial real estate and, um, uh, he had started working with Bob Geldof who had the, he, Bob from uh, Boomtown Rats and uh, Live Aid, Live Aid had a large production company in London. And he realized, uh, with my brother, they're like, Hey, why don't we start making native language music television because what was happening is everything was coming out of London and going through all the countries. Right. Um, And Germany had come out with Viva and they realized, well, when they're playing local music with local VJs speaking the local language, it did better. So they had called me up and they said, Hey, can you help us with a logo? So I did a 3d logo at the time. Then they're like, Oh, you own some gear. Why don't you come over for six weeks, shoot some stuff, six weeks, you know, slowly turned into, I think we were there just, like two days shy of five years. Wow! It was a it was a long it was a long haul. The first year we set up uh, MTV Poland, which was under the banner Atomic Television. Okay. And then from a uh, from Atomic Television, then they they would rebrand it if it was successful. Fortunately, it was. Uh, we went into Romania next, and again they were hiring local talent. I had a small team of about five Americans. We were kind of the the seed group. We'd go in and 
and help source people out. There were yeah, because you need to there. have a, that certain, there's a certain look and vibe to the whole MTV. Well, at that point, anyway. <laughs> not anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Sadly. well, and, you know, the, the whole idea was like, well, if it's going to be local, um, you know, again, going back to the story, you hire local people and let them bring the look, the feel, and the interest. Yeah, because they tell their they tell their own story best, right? <laughs> of course. And, and, and clearly, I didn't know that. And I also didn't speak the language. So it was like, try to find young creative people. And fortunately, uh, I went over in 95, came back in 2000. Fortunately, there were a lot of young people that really spoke English. So the language barrier was broken for me, yeah. uh, which allowed me to really tap into the creative, you know, underworld there of the music subworld. I don't mean underground, but yeah. When you're so you did MTV when you came back. Um, you started getting into the reality TV thing. What was what was the interest for you? I guess you had because of the documentary background. It sort of seemed like a natural fit. But then you also mentioned the financial security, which is important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I came back. We, my editor at the time, uh, became my wife. We had a child, oh. and we're like, "Yeah, we're not going to do this in Eastern Europe. It's too yeah, hard." Yeah, you know. <laughs> exactly. um, and so when we came back, it was like, ass yeah, kicking around, trying to figure out what to do. And again, you know, I always tell when I talk to younger people that are trying to get in, it's, you know, just reach out to people. A buddy of mine called me to wish me happy birthday. He was in Los Angeles. And uh, he's like, yeah, so, uh, you know, I know this is too big for you, too small for you, but uh, I'm looking for a camera operator. And I'm like, dude, dude, I'm not doing anything. I'd love to have the opportunity. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're trying a new series. It's going to be called, I don't even think stuff was branded reality TV, hmm. but he was a, he was a producer um, under Tom Beers over at Original Productions. And they said, yeah, we're going to do a motorcycle thing. Why don't you come out and film? And, you know, and this is during the Orange County chopper period, like the, the some of the motorcycle yeah. shows were pretty, pretty big. Right? They were they well, they were just coming out. Orange oh, okay. County choppers and biker build off were kind of coming at the same time. Oh, okay. um, Orange County chopper guys. It's a great example of there. They cast dudes that were interesting. And let's see if they can make motorcycles because they weren't real motorcycle builders when they started. Oh, you know, okay. um, And motorcycle media and biker build off which the groups I was working with, they were finding builders and then they were trying to find the most interesting talent. Right. Because, because guys can be great builders, but they don't talk or they don't, you don't, you exactly. gotta find it. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. exactly. And, and I think that's why those shows were able to live on the network at the same time, because mm -hmm. you had one that was completely driven by characters. And then you had one that was, that was driven by design. They're not taken away from either one. Yeah. Just they, sort they of really... different entities in the same realm. Sure. 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 And it's, you know, and, they liked what I was doing. I got lucky. And, uh, you know, that company, um, orig uh, Original Productions, they were like, well, we're going to do a Monster House and we're looking at Monster Garage with Jesse James. And they're right. like, well, you, you kind of have experience in Europe and stuff. We're looking at shooting a pilot, um, you know, uh, with boats. Are you interested? I'm like, sure. You know, and then so I, I did some early work on, on Deadliest Catch. Right. Um, and then at the same time, Ice Road Truckers came out and I got that opportunity. And it's just kind of like, like I said, you, you get real lucky. And yeah. I always tell younger people, if you don't know the camera they're talking about, you know the camera. Just say yes. Read the manual. On exactly. the and, and, I, and I think that that's, you know, I mean, because I, I come from obviously I come from music, um, the background. But what I've learned in my life as far as just, you know, it's sort of say yes and figure it out. Right. It's sort of like yeah. because. Those little opportunities, like you said, the camera thing, even though you had lots of experience doing other stuff, that all that sort of when you trace things back, that led to what you're doing now. It's all oh, it's yeah. all connected. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, don't bite too big of a piece of the sandwich if you don't really know, you know, if you yeah, don't, don't know how don't to lie, but <laughs> yeah, you know, but because I've you know, it's happened to me now as a, as an executive. I hire people and they're like, Oh yeah, sure I do. And it's like, dude, <laughs> I, I want you to learn, but not at the rate I'm paying you and with the deadline I have. Yeah. You, know, you, it, yeah. you have to be smart about it. Absolutely. And and do you um as far as like new talent and people like I, I'm sure you get contacted by a lot of folks wanting to get into the business. Um, how do you deal with that? And like, is that a passion for you trying to help younger directors? Yeah, no, I mean, right now, because I'll staff an entire team. So I'll look for production assistants, a PA all the way up to producers directly under me. You know, a few years ago, because I, I have a daughter who's 20 now. Um, I also have a son that's 20 and a little guy that's only nine. But um, 
you know, I watch what was happening with my daughter and I'm like, you know, we, I'm going to give more young women an opportunity. You know, this was yeah. a big push a couple of years ago because 17, she couldn't get any work. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be different, which was good because there aren't a lot of women in the industry. Yeah. There's, they're in certain like makeup and, and, and that kind of hair thing, but yeah. they're not, not really on camera directing. No. Or, yeah. And then so I, I literally, you know, two of my favorite cinematographers, I mean, I have a lot that I, you know, I have a, a, a good list of people I really enjoy working with, but probably the top two are women oh. and the, they, they're super strong in what they deliver. They're capable of doing anything that a man, you know, I mean, that's the thing that's so funny is people are like, Oh, you know, carrying the cameras or you have to go hiking. I, women will kick most men's butts. Yeah. And, and that's such a way, and especially when they get opportunities like that to break in, yeah. like they're willing to work their, their butts off. Yeah. 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 My, hands down my best AC that I have uh, Miranda again, no disrespect to the other ones, but I just, I, I love what she brings to, to it. I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she's hungry. She's a strong worker and you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not about her being a woman. In fact, if it ever comes up, you know, not only does she get frustrated, but typically her team does. It's like, why, why did you mention gender? You know, which is the way it should be. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of times where I'm like, I, I get worried. Is this the right role? Is this the right position for someone? Yeah. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's your job as an executive producer. You have to think about all that stuff, but. Yeah, well, I want people to be safe. You know, what I mean, at the end of the day, I you know. Yeah, man, man or woman <laughs> doesn't. Yeah. Win, yeah, you know, if you're not good on a boat, not a good place to be. I had a gr- I had a great sound guy once who we were filming a uh, one of those catfishing shows. You know, you're catching it with your hand, and a super great audio guy, but he had sickle cell anemia, and water is a terrible place for someone with sickle cell. And I'm like, you right. probably should tell me this because. I don't want to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to put you in a situation you're going to get hurt. Or somebody um, doesn't like the cold. They probably shouldn't do ice road truckers. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's why I, it's why I really don't shoot deadliest catch. I'll take yeah. cold. And I'm not going to take cold and wet. It's just not my. Well, they've had, they've had issues on that show where they had camera people or new guys that, that end up getting really sick, seasick. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to airlift those guys out. And that, I mean, from a production standpoint, there's a crazy cost. From a humanity standpoint, it's like I don't want to watch one of my guys die. Of course, yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. You know, uh, the logger shows are another great. I mean, you're you're camping, you're living in the woods, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know, then all of a sudden you become this interesting situation where it's like, well, I got a mixed crew. You know, where do I house the women? Where do I house the men? Because you know, the, you know, a lot of that my guys they're all survival people, so they're like, oh, we'll live in the tent together. It's no big deal. But there are different needs that that men and women have. Yeah, and 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 actually, and it is a business, and you have to be cognizant of all the normal stuff of of running oh, yeah. a business, right? Well, I still have to follow OSHA rules. Exactly. You know? I mean, so yeah. <laughs> Even though when you watch some of those shows, you think, "Hmm, <laughs> I wonder what the OSHA yeah. guy would say." <laughs> yeah, no, trust me. Yeah, we have a lot of that. We have a lot sure of that. I'm like, sure you do. Can we tweak that edit? Um, you know, so so I did a lot with young women, um, camera operators in the camera department. Our last show was really great because it was a great, not only mix of men and women, but something that I don't see a lot is I don't typically have an opportunity to bring in a lot of people of color. And the reason I say that is my world's very small. Yeah. So if, you know, a lot of times I'm like, okay, who's the guy that shot lions with me before I need him to go? And right. And that, that's the thing about breaking into the industry because people, it takes a lot to get to be willing to give somebody new in that environment oh, yeah. when you got to bring them out in a tight crew situation, you, it's, yeah. it's, you're reluctant to try new people, right? It doesn't really matter about oh, race yeah. or, or gender or whatever, but just in general. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm in Chicago, you know, there's, there are a ton of people, Hispanic and black, you know, that I can pull from that. I know are great and they know the Chicago market. I'll hire them in a heartbeat. Um, but when it comes to specialized shows, if I'm going into the Amazon for five weeks and we're living in the Amazon, it, it really doesn't come down to color or gender. It really comes down to who has the best survival instincts because yeah. you're in a team of four and I need to know that my sound man, not only is getting great sound, but he, I can count on him protecting me when I'm filming if he sees something around me. And a lot of people that haven't been in those environments get lost yeah. in terms of what they're looking at, and they don't think about the safety factor. And it's it's a big it's a big risk, yeah. It really is. Yeah, and it's it's good to bring that up because people. I mean, you watch those shows again. Like I saw, you know, 
even Lights Road Truckers or all those shows. Like there's all the all other elements of like, wow, that's challenging. Like what's, what's, what's like a really crazy story that comes to mind? I'm sure you have a lot, but what's, oh, yeah. what's, some, of the, what's some of the ones that you can tell so, on air? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, that, 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 there you go. That's yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with, with animals, one of the craziest, I, I do a lot of vet shows and yeah. we do a lot again because um, I'm more documentary. Um, those have been kind of really popular recently, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just did a, a eight part series for Disney Plus that was uh, the magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. So we got to work with the animals that not only that Animal Kingdom has, but also Disney and Epcot have. And it's great. And you're, you're, you know, you're in Orlando, but it looks like Africa. So it was, yeah. a, it was a dream to shoot it. But, you know, we had you, you have issues where, you know, you can't get too comfortable. It doesn't matter if it's a small little animal, you know, if they if, if uh, a monkey, a mandrel reaches out and scratches you, yeah. you're in trouble. And Dr. Oakley uh, for National Geographic, we were up uh, in Alaska and in the middle, you know, there's no real science. It's it's cross of guessing game and her incredible ability to know what the dosage is for the medicine to keep that animal down and sedated. Estimate, but that's not, nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, we, you know, we've had muscats wake up in the middle of a procedure. And, you know, when it, a large animal wakes up, it's startled and it's frightening. It has 18, you know, inch horns that will rip you in half. And so, you know, you have the whole film crew, the sound guy with a big bag on his belly. He's like, wait a minute. You know, and you can't, it's amazing how uh, we all become Olympic athletes because we can hurdle a 12 foot fence in like one jump. But, you know, you know, ask me to get out of a car and not moan about my knees. Yeah, exactly. But somehow, you know. Hey, the lion so, woke up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, again, there are certain certain shows that we, we've had lions wake up in the middle of the procedure. We've um, we've had uh, sound men and cameramen bitten by snakes. Oh, some oh. are poisonous and some aren't. And yeah, you and you're in the middle of the meat. Amazon. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, ultimately, and I, I get this all the time when I talk to uh, a lot of the young kids, what's the most dangerous animal you've ever seen? And, you know, quite frankly, it's the unpredictability of man. Um, and it's not that like, I go in these areas where people are pulling guns and stuff. I mean, some of our police shows, we have those issues, but yeah. really it's the, the guy that doesn't want to be seen on camera and thinks, oh, I'm going to jump in my car and drive out of here really quickly. Well, yeah, there's someone standing behind your car. You yeah, know what I mean? Like exactly. it's those type of, it's, it's, you, you can't really anticipate what, what humans are going to do. Uh, any better than you can anticipate what yeah and you're and i mean in your situation too where you're heading up the crew you're you have to you're like dad right you have to you have to be watching you have to be watching all the kids make sure nobody loses loses an arm or gets run over (laughs) we are an incredibly dysfunctional family but uh yeah unfortunately there is a father figure sometimes yeah people can check um check out your actually your list of shows on imdb which is basically where you can check everybody's credits that's in the industry but when you think about like my favorite thing I've done as far as shows goes, what's, what's your favorite show? Uh, you know, it's, 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 that's really tough. Um, I mean, I know they're kind of like all your so, children, but yeah. And they're, and they're so, what's, they're who's so your different. favorite kid? <laughs> yeah, I, we just finished, like I said, we just finished the big project for Disney. It was a, it was a huge crew. We worked with a London British, uh, British company, Aero Media out of uh, the UK it was the first time that I really worked under the banner of Disney that who is now owned, uh, who owns uh, National Geographic. Okay. Um, what was so great about it was what we were able to pull out. No one had ever been allowed to go behind the scenes of Disney and actually film there uh, oh. since the beginning. Yeah. And you're talking about the, the magic, the, the Animal Kingdom. Right? Uh, Animal Kingdom as well as Epcot. So to actually see uh, the, the, just the sheer scope of those facilities that was amazing and it was just a great experience i mean uh we had four different cinematographers they all specialized mm-hmm. in something we had an underwater guy um i had some guys that were like specialty you know rigging um uh, brought out a good friend that kind of is the, the the epic cinematographer for like film look and it was just great to, to be able to have four teams almost 50 people on the ground and everyone worked fantastic together and it really awesome. is cohesive you can edit from one shot, one DP to another, 
And th they all were had the same mindset. So what, that what is a DP for people that don't know? Oh, uh, director of photography or cinematographer. You can kind of flip back and forth. So he's he's the guy that's making sure the shots right, and he he designs the look. And you know, you have your camera operators underneath him, but he's the one that's making sure that the design, the lens, is what he wants. Um, then we have different producers in in a situation like that. The producers become my mini directors, so they're directing okay. that scene for the day but I'm directing mm -hmm. the show. And then I have a partner, Rick Dowling. Rick is back at post and he's really the maestro. Putting all the pieces Everything together. together. <laughs> you know, I always get these calls like, yeah, you yeah. got this great interview about an alligator, but you guys never filmed alligators. Those are crocodiles. And I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> We're going to go back and fix that. That's, you know? Yeah. Because people that watch, people that watch Nat Geo, if you don't do that right, they're going to yeah, burn they, you. There's nothing, there's nothing more embarrassing than calling the animal the wrong species in front of like. Oh, look at the yeah. monkey. It's yeah, a dog. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, asking someone, you know, after three weeks of working with silverback gorillas. So what's the difference of a gorilla? opposed to you know an orangutan and they just look at you like right how dare you you work for national geographic and i'm like you went to exactly. art school come on exactly that's so funny yeah and actually i mean the awesome thing obviously disney i mean we all grew up with disney and but disney is known for quality as far as programming i mean i grew up with watching wild world of disney and, and mutual omaha's wild kingdom all that stuff and uh, and also obviously nat geo too so the quality level and being entrusted working with those brands because they are huge brands in the world of content um that must be like fun and challenging it's, and it, what what how yeah, it's nerve-wracking i'm not gonna lie it's like one of the yeah like yeah, yeah. It, it's you know well you know as a musician you know you you have your own style and stuff and then all of a sudden a big name calls you and says hey i hear you're great can you come and sit in with my band you're going oh man <laughs> you know yeah. I, I know the chord <laughs> but you know. a, they would say like a, a butt pucker yeah, yeah yeah there definitely <laughs> yeah, is and, yeah. and, and what was nice was um disney they did trust us it took a, a little bit to mm -hmm. really kind of be like i can't believe we're letting someone do this get out of, you know but they really sat back and yeah. trust us um i'd been with national geographic for several years at that point so i believe i had their trust i think they were a little nervous but you know it worked out great and so i think that was it's probably my newest show but the most exciting you know working in the amazon is always great been there a few times um i love mountain work so we did a I had a small team go with me to the French Alps and we were, you know, working with uh, researchers there. I just, you know, it's just fantastic to go to these places. Yeah. Because you go as obviously doing, you know, for work essentially, but obviously you must enjoy the travel and you must enjoy the interaction with the locals and that whole aspect. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I think being able to see people in their own environment, in their own world, you know, and in, 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 in the culture, the streets, the, the window in that apartment building you're staying in it really dictates how we film something where if I was in the studio right. situation, I'm asking them to bring their heritage to me, but it doesn't really matter because I'm going to whitewash it with a green screen. You know what I mean? So it's right. And it kind of, it kind of gets diluted. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if, if not diluted, sometimes it's a hundred percent removed. I mean, it's really, and it, again, I don't want to, I have friends that, that do that work and they do fantastic work. It's just not where my heart and soul is. I, I prefer to, I prefer the travel and to just be plunked down in the middle of someone else's life and then try to figure out how do I, how do I film this and represent it? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the, the sort of, I think the hook for the audience is, is actually getting a slice and a really authentic slice of, you know, that environment. I mean, like you said, the Amazon, like most people are not ever going to go there. Yeah. So they're really going there through your camera and through your yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, I'm not going to lie. It's I got into it because I was trying to figure out how do I get my my butt over to Australia, and I'm like, you know, documentaries oh, okay, yeah. might be the way. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. the key. And I, then, uh, <laughs> that'll be, that'll be the easy yeah. road. <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, well, I haven't been to the Antarctic, so I guess I, so. Two continents I haven't been to, right? Australia and Antarctic, but I've been to all the other ones many times. I'm like, I got into this to go to Australia. You know, having I've been right, off yeah. the coast on aircraft carriers, you know, close enough where you can see the beach, but never, never put foot there. Yeah, that's that's you know awesome. Actually, I mean, what a great life, even beyond just the filming and, and that kind of thing. Like just to have those experiences, you know, you just most people just yeah. don't. <laughs> so no, amazing. I know I'm the, I'm real um, lucky. I, I'm not gonna lie. I know you have um, also something um, that you have a big passion for is children's documentaries, children's education. I know you have a um, animation thing you've been working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to uh, 
I think my own, you know, difficulties in school, you know, I is, it was ah, okay. school was a, a real torture for me, you know, and, 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 and people have their yeah. own, you know, some guys were super shy and stuttered, you know, I mean, everyone has something. And mine was, I mean, going to school and uh, I mean, being several years behind my age in terms of my reading capability, school was really difficult. And so if I wasn't clowning around and trying to get the, the negative of, you know, reinforcement from my friends. And you're trying to you're trying to figure out a way to fit in because you're having those right, challenges. Right. And, and and I learned so much. Uh, I was a visual learner. My mom and my dad were great about getting us to museums. And whenever we traveled, awesome. we always, you know, went places and learned about them. And I was like, you know, documentary for kids can do that. Um, you know, and, and, and I mean, as early as like Sesame Street, I was born a year before Sesame Street came out, you know, so I mean, you know, I'm kind of an old dude, but kids learn why they watch stuff. And um, I teamed up with a friend of mine who was a a school teacher. And I was like, let's do something for kids, but not as adults telling kids this is what you have to learn. This is more show about for kids, but questions that kids have that that ask. So instead of like, here's a rocket ship and here's how you go to outer space, kids don't care. Kids want to know how do you pee yeah. in zero gravity? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So That's true. I, yeah. I started, it was more of a passion project. It was on the side, um, but I was able to team up with um, Ken Fountain, who is a fantastic 3D animator uh, early in his career. And we kind of designed this um, this series called the Ebos. It's, it lives online. My goal was always to get it to PBS. And by the time I finally got to PBS and they liked it after 10 years of like, hammering away at this i just didn't have the money to continue sure. anymore you know it was kind of that bitter so like uh, i i reached mount olympus but i'm not gonna build a house you know i'm just gonna move on yeah but i think i mean also learning that process as far as i mean obviously you have the filming and and the production process but like thinking through the thing with like you said with children they think differently right they look at the world obviously differently and and and, and what's going back to like the dyslexia thing you know, a common theme actually from some of the world's best known creators, best known scientists was they had those yeah. issues, which is yeah. interesting. Like there's, you know, like Einstein had, he had a lot of learning disabilities. Like it's, it's fascinating how creatives and also that for some reason seems to be connected. Well, I don't want to speak blanketly for everyone that has some type of LD. Yeah, because everybody has but, different but, things. But, you know, for sure. me, it was clearly it was to overcompensate the inability to just open up a book and read. So my I was a visual mm. learner, which obviously I, I, I'm very strong in visual language. Um, and my curiosity sure. was always, can where do I, you know, the pre-internet, where do you go to watch these films that, that can educate you? Exactly. You know, the encyclopedia was where we did our book reports as kids. That was torture for me. And I watch my son, my little guy now, and he can talk to Siri to pull something up and he watches a video. And it's amazing what he's able to retain, not just what he hears from the audio side of things, but citing the yeah. pictures. And, and it's a great way to learn. And I just, I kind of feel like it, not everything we produce has to be for ratings late at nights or right. so many of the cartoons that are out there, they're cute and they're fun, but deliver a little bit of a message, you know? You got, you got, the, you got their attention. So it's a really good opportunity to- And you, and you can make it exciting. Expand their yeah, world. Yeah, and, and make right. it entertaining. I mean, if people want to go, it's theebos.com. They can see it. So it looks like eBoss, but you know what's what's fun about <laughs> it is everything that the characters talk about. It's set up in a kid's how do fish at the aquarium not get eaten by the shark? That's the number one, you know, and no one right. ever talks about it. Well, and I wonder about that. <laughs> it's, and sometimes, and sometimes they yeah, do, right? <laughs> you know, animals are going to do what is animal instinct. But you know, at Disney, exactly. when we were doing the Disney show, they did a great job of really helping us explain to a broad audience because national geographic doesn't typically go that low in the demographics where disney does oh, okay i think you can make really great content and not make it stupid you know what i mean you can you can make it at a kid's level but an intelligent kid's level yeah because kids are smart and they're getting smarter every oh, day yeah. it's it's amazing Mike. yeah did you ever have a desire to make films as far as like you know for yeah. I guess what you would say, like the, the general release yeah. kind of films. Is that, is that something that's been interested for you? You know, I or? go back and forth. Uh, I, I do want to do more comedy. A lot of my little shorts, you know, are comedy. Um, and I have a lot of friends. Um, I mean, it, it's amazing how many kids from my hometown 
have gone to Los Angeles and are big writers, big directors. And that is a hot, like Chicago, that whole area is a hotbed of talent. I mean, music talent, film. Yeah, there's, I mean, the the connections are amazing. And, you know, people do, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not six degrees of separation, I think, where I came from. I think it's more like two. I mean, there's a lot of great uh, talent. I mean, I grew up, uh, Greg Pritikin, who's a uh, really big director and does some great things with Netflix. I grew up with D.B. Weiss from Game of Thrones, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, God, and, you know, now I'm sounding like I'm just dropping names, but so I'll stop doing that. But yeah. I grew probably about. But those are people that those are just people that. Yeah, you yeah these were guys that just I just, you room. know, Alan yeah. Loeb, a great screenwriter. You know, I went to college. Uh, my roommate was, you know, Peter Craig, who who is a big film writer. You know, you come across and you, you mm-hmm. meet these people and I love what they do. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to go direct a feature film? But again, I think I'm strongest at understanding people's real world that they're at and pulling mm-hmm. their story because sometimes people are reluctant to share that or don't realize that their story is as interesting. I mean, we actually even talked about that with you because you were kind of like, I don't know what, I don't know, music thing. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's not really about music. It's about truth and it's about creative and creativity. And those are universal concepts. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And so when I watch like Greg, when, you know, we, I love talking to him. um, uh, Steve Krizer is another really good friend of mine that has a couple of shows they're working under this different type of budget, different restraint, and they're working off the written word. Again, maybe it's going back to dyslexia. I don't want to have to have a script in my hand. I don't, I don't know. But um, sure. so, so the long answer to your very short question was, yeah, it would be great to direct a Hollywood <laughs> film, but it's never been, uh, I, you know, I think once I really started making films, not like nine years old, but like when I was in my 20s, I realized documentary is where I wanted. Yeah. And I think um, you mentioned Netflix. So that they've become a big behemoth in the world of create content creation. I mean, because because they have a lot yeah. of bucks. Is that something you're seeing a lot of guys moving into that direction that we're working with companies like that and yeah. online more online? Well, it's, it's, it's the great disruptor for our industry. It was really hard to um, if, if documentary or, or scripted films. Very difficult mm-hmm. to um to sell these because there's only so many studios. But now with the birth of streaming, you know, you can go to Apple, you can go to Netflix, you can go to Amazon and they're throwing, you know, they're like doing the HBO model. I mean, they're throwing big, big budgets. Yeah. So yeah, I would say uh, when Rick Dollar and I, when we work on ideas together, you know, first we want to make sure the idea is pretty solid. And then the second thing we do is we say, which network or which streaming service is most interested in this type of idea? Because if you don't yeah. know where it's going to air, you can't really develop it. But at the same time, if you're developing in my world, if you're only developing for Netflix, you're not going to find something that's that great. Obviously, you want to kind of direct it toward a certain avenue, but at the same time, you don't want to be constrained by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but but the streaming services, God bless them for being here. They're, they, it's, it's, the problem is, as a viewer, for me, it's overwhelming. I, the list of stuff I need to watch, yeah. I just don't have time. I know, yeah, it gets like, but they're, you know, they're, they're creating some really interesting content. I think that Queen's Gambit was one of their, one of their babies, but it's great. At least there's, it's, I think what it does is it does create a lot of opportunities for younger folks coming into without the business, a doubt um you know you used to pray that you get into a film festival and you'd pray that that film festival would get you to a bigger yeah. film festival that, that that the film festival market still is still there but it's not the only way for an unknown to break into hollywood yeah, yeah. um what's your biggest advice to um young aspiring i guess content creators filmmakers directors what's what's the come some of the points that really come to your mind that you like to share yeah you know the one thing that i tell people is you know to to be kind of multifaceted you know i i love redundancy in my in my projects and and i and it's a must when i do a hire so it's great you're a, a shooter but you know do you understand audio or have you been an editor ever before just so you know Right. You know, are you holding the shot for 10 seconds? And that 10 seconds is I need the fade up. I need the fade out. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Just the, the general mechanics. Yeah. Of you know, and if people can roll their eyes. You know, I have a lot of shooters that are just shooters, but they're never the first on my list. You know, I really try to go to the, the, the people that have multiple skill sets. And for young, you know, I just spoke with a buddy of mine teaches at Syracuse. I still keep in touch with the university. I spoke to a cinematographer's class there. Um, 
cinematography class. And they were all asking which cameras, how do they show their work? And I gave them three examples that were proof of concept that I shot with an iPhone. And I actually, one of them, I edited on an yeah. iPhone. It's not about the tool. It's about the idea and the tools you use to implement it. And I think everyone, oh, I want to do this, but I can't get my hands on a big camera. Don't let that stop your creativity. Yeah, because people that like you, you can look at that role. They send you, um, you know, a demo package to look at. You get, you can see past oh, that. Right? I, anyone, anyone that's been in the industry more than two years will completely forgive the the camera that you've used, but they will not forget. But if you haven't moved that camera, or if you haven't used that camera in an interesting way, then you're not worth your salt. But you can, yeah, because that that's. That's sort of your your language, yeah. right? That language has to yeah. be. <laughs> no, yeah, no, there's a, there's a visual language and there's also, you know, how are you going to develop your style? I, I always tell college kids when I, I actually taught a class uh, one semester and I was like, here's the deal. If you have a 20-year-old friend that's going to be in your film, they must play a 20-year-old. I don't want baby powder in their hair and that they're the grandfather. It doesn't work. You're like, don't work with what you have. <laughs> if if, it, if yeah. all you have is access to a dorm room, then your idea should be based set in a dorm room. Don't try to put curtains up in a fake chandelier and call it a ballroom. Like stay, stay within your world. But it, again, that happens with documentaries, you know, for the young people that are listening to it. I mean, I, yeah, I'd love to shoot on a bigger boat, but I can't help it. I'm, I'm on a two man boot and I, boat and I have four people. Yeah. And it's about the story anyways. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like I'm, a, you know, I'm a Getty images guy, mm -hmm. photographer, whatever. And I'm like, people always like, well, what kind of gear do you use? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's not really the mm. thing. I'm actually, some of the shots that have been licensed the most for me were phone shots oh, yeah. or were simple, really simple, low budget, you know, yeah. GoPro. Yeah, there's, <laughs> Cause that's not the thing. It's the content. Exactly. It's, it's the exactly. I mean, people are shocked how many GoPros we use. We use hundreds of GoPros yeah. uh, in our shows because the GoPro right. can only get into a, a certain area that other cameras can. There's a great book. Uh, the best camera you have is the one in your pocket. I th and I think yeah. it was actually like an Apple product kind of book, but it's those out, those photos are stunning. Yeah, because some of the best content are things you just look over and you go, oh, mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, snap. Or even like you said, like you get, you're filming a show and you have a sort of a plan, but all of a sudden, some like the sun comes up in a certain way and the light hits a certain way. And as a cinematographer, you're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, and, and well, and a sunset is 15 minutes, you know, so you don't have time to go yeah. back and get your- So you, you yeah. got to get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it's a good examples like drones. Everyone wants to know how we're using drones. And it's like, yeah. it's not necessarily the drone. It's the drone operator. Does he understand that it's not a helicopter, but it's also better than, exactly. a, than a crane? You know what I mean? You, and a yeah. good drone operator knows I'm going to fly between 18 feet and, and 106 feet. I'm not going to go where helicopter. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a sweet yeah. spot. And I'm going to use it yeah. creatively. So, you know, my, my advice is like, you know, don't think you need good gear. Stay with your story. The story will show through with whatever camera you use. Yeah. But what's the future for you? I mean, do you, um, obviously you're, you're rolling on Moonshiners. Um, that's going to be wrapping, I guess, probably pretty soon. What, what's coming up for you in the, in the near future? There's always like four or five irons in the fire. And I'd probably say, you know, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful if one gets hot. Um, we're looking right. at some projects um, outside the United States, but that's all COVID dependent. You know, we really, I, right. I believe that um, uh, the magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom did really quite well. I don't think they were earth shattering numbers, but it was very consistent and it's still growing on Disney Plus. So hoping for a season two there. Um, Disney Plus is, a, is an awesome outlet yeah. and you're getting, I mean, you have, so they have some great content. They've been wonderful to work with. You know, I have zero complaints. Um, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's you're working with such a huge company. Do you get lost? It's like, no, I think they really do pay attention to their products and their people. And they have resources, right? They can, they can. Yeah. Wonderful you. resources. And then um, I've been working on two of my own documentaries. Um, one of them uh, <laughs> involves uh, Craig uh, Schneider, who you already uh, done a piece with. And that's actually how yeah. we met through Craig. Craig's a great uh, producer, remixer guy out of yeah, Chicago. Yeah, super Very talented. talented. And he works with Ralphie Rosario. Um, they have a new album coming out. And so we're looking, we're doing a documentary on some house music. And I'm doing awesome. a documentary on um, 80s action heroes. So it's kind of, you know, <laughs> those fine. are like when I'm, when I'm <laughs> not, you know, making moonshine or dodging trees yeah. that are being cut down on one of my other shows. I always run by 
Yeah, we kind of, I think we kind of have a similar background, like with yeah. that kind of stuff, because I have a love for the 80s. Like, I, you know, like the, there's just some classic stuff. <laughs> I, I will always have a soft spot for a mullet. I mean, I'm sorry. It was a, yeah, exactly. the 80s gave us the mullet. Great, great, greatest American oh. hero. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. All that yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's good fun. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a busy guy. And I actually, I caught you on your day oh. off, uh, which is so I really appreciate the time. You could be a Dollywood, movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, who said I'm not going, you know, come on. Well, true. No, yeah. I really appreciate this. So thank you. I'm glad that you're interested in hearing the story. Oh yeah, actually it's a fascinating story. And I think all those shows are so popular that, you know, people all are all curious about how they get put together and the background and the people that are involved. Um, and I think you guys actually don't get enough light shine on you. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, how can people find you? I know you have your website, so can you tell us? That yeah, uh, my production company is Red Branch Productions. So you can go to redbranch.com. And, you know, I, I'm pretty accessible. My, I mean, I put my phone number right there. You can phone, you know, text, email, call, whatever you want to do, especially if there are young people looking, you know, because a lot of times I, if I'm not on a show, people are asking. So, if, you know, don't hold yeah. back. Send me an email if you're looking to try to do that. Do you get, do you get, um, do you get a lot of folks that approach you with show ideas or how do you I get a that? lot of show ideas? You know, it's, it's, it depends on who's approaching me. Sometimes I'm brutally honest. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry, there's, there's not yeah. a character in your project. Um, sometimes the show ideas are, you know, pretty decent. And I'm like, hey, well, here's what you need to do to get it to the next level. Um, what is really, I, I usually design shows, but I design shows with production companies that they have their relationships with the networks. I do deal with network sure. executives all the time, but I don't typically design, you know, if someone, hey, hey, I want to do something about my grandmother. She's fantastic. I'm sure she is, but I'm not <laughs> sure. the guy to shop it, but I'm more than happy. I mean, I know yeah. the, the way that I know the items you need to have it to shop it to someone that can get it. Right. And you know, and you never know, yeah. right? I mean, like there might be somebody like you hear an idea you go, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I got called to do, I was on a show and they called and I thought I was being punked. They're like, Hey, uh, it's a survival show. The contestants are naked and they have to survive for 30 days. And I'm like, who is this? Like, yeah, I, I literally I was like, you guys are full of it. I'm on a show. I don't know who this is. I was like, I thought it was like my brothers. Naked and Afraid was yeah. a huge hit. You know what I mean? So it, yeah, exactly. You're know, like, exactly. whoa. Um, and then I, you know, I've worked on like these great police shows that were, you know, it's SWAT in an urban environment, and it's going to be, oh my god, we'll do a yeah. hundred episodes, and they do two episodes, and it goes nowhere. So you know, I, you know, talking about that, I remember. I mean, this is I can't remember exactly the year probably like 80 late 80s i saw the first episode of cops yeah. they ever filmed in mm -hmm. miami and i watched that show and at this point like now that kind of stuff is like sort of like tame yeah. like yeah whatever but back then yeah, people were people were horrified <laughs> you know? they're like how are they doing this show and how is you know yeah. i mean really that in the real world were really real the forefront you know of of the reality kind of yeah they really they did a, they they've done some really great stuff you know, it, then there are also a lot of police shows that you watch and you're like, you know, that borderlines on entrapment for a story, you know, and as a producer, I really try to stay away from that because at the end of the day, you're dealing with people's lives. And I don't for, for entertainment. I, you know, that's that's a that's a tough call. And some of those folks, like they're not TV, obviously TV professionals. They don't really understand the consequences of what they really want to like. Yeah, I'll do this on air. But it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's, yeah. It's one of the reasons why I kind of love filming in other countries, because believe it or not, like there's this, there's a different ethics there when you're creating content. And, uh, you know, right. I mean, for all yeah. the great things that America Entertainment brings, every once in a while, it's, it's kind of refreshing to just work in Finland, <laughs> you know? Yeah, actually, I go to there, Finland a lot. So yeah, it's, it's a different yeah, world. You're, you're, you're hanging out with the directors in in like Norway or something, and you're just like, that's yeah. how you approach it. That, that's so civilized. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they have a different, they, or or even even UK, yeah. right? They have a different way. It's a different sense yeah, of really And it, it, but and those shows. I mean, the thing is too about like your shows, the reality TV shows. People don't. Some people don't realize that those have big legs. Those shows, they're all over yeah. the world in multiple sometimes in multiple languages oh yeah i think moonshiners I'm, I'm sure i'll get a call on this later but i believe it's in over 120 countries you know i mean yeah, the, the, the reach of discovery history channel national geographic i don't think people realize just 
how many languages yeah. it gets dubbed into. And it's, it's so much fun to watch, you know, uh, a good old boy with a Southern <laughs> draw talk about moonshine in the backwoods, but it's a German. Yeah. Russian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Russian and German. Like, <laughs> and the guys love it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, we'll, we're not filming. Yeah. I'm sure they get yeah they all pull it. it up on their phone. Here yeah. I am speaking Spanish. You know, <laughs> that's so great. It's so great. Yeah, that's funny. Thank you so much, Dean. I, I really appreciate your time. It's a fascinating story. And I, um, people, please go to Dean's website. Do you have a lot of actually promo roles on there? You have commercial film uh, cuts on there. People can see kind of your work, also your animation stuff. It's a really fascinating story. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you get involved with next. I, I love all the shows you've been doing. And I, I'm sure you got some some great There's stuff. There's some fun out. ones. Yeah, I did, in the next year, I you know, once we get through this this health crisis, I think we're going to be rocking some really great ideas. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our podcast and follow us on our social media pages for guest announcements. 